0: Welcome to Sacred Intersections podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling.
1: And I'm Paula.
0: I'm a licensed counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of Christian faith. So as we're getting started, we just want to say that Sacred Intersections podcast is about respectful discussion and conversation to encourage you to think. We're not trying to make you think like us. We are just trying to make you think that is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or other organizations, which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental health care professionals and practitioners, people of faith, Jesus followers, white women, Americans, or people who love dresses with pockets.
1: I love dresses with pockets
0: and they're so hard to find. Listen, pockets hold the keys to the patriarchy. <laughs> I laugh every time you say that <laughs> I am on a quest to eliminate clothes from my wardrobe that don't have pockets in them because I'm regularly annoyed when I don't have them. So I, I do love, I do love a dress with pockets and we've found some great companies that. Sell
1: dresses with pockets, and maybe someday they'll sponsor the show and we could talk about them. But if you want to know what they are, message us and we will tell you privately. But in your story, no free advertising on Sacred <laughs> Intersections. That's not true. We free advertise a lot of stuff we love. But anyway, back to our actual podcast Sacred Intersections is a podcast that includes discussion and conversation about religion, spirituality, mental health and all those ways that they intersect, because we were already having these kinds of conversations. So we decided to record them and share them with you. So we're just really glad you're here with us, that you came along for the journey, even if you're traveling different roads or you're driving different vehicles than we are. So Jill, we've got a difficult topic today, but before we get into that, let's revisit our past two topics just to kind of check in. Um, on a couple of things. We want to say thank you again to Dr. Craig Cashwell for our spiritual bypass episode. We got a lot of great feedback on that. People really appreciate it. I got called a Craig Cashwell groupie and there are worse things. So I'm not going to gush too much about him again, (laughs) (laughs) but we do appreciate him being willing
0: to come. Um, It's nice when good people have groupies. I'm in favor. It's nice when good people are respected. Exactly. I like that. So
1: thinking back to episodes, um, we had actually recorded the spiritual bypass one before we dropped the one on, is it really okay not to be okay? So we weren't able to include feedback that we got from the, is it really okay not to be okay episode in the following episode? Because that one had already been recorded. So we did get some feedback from that episode that we wanted to address before we started this episode. Um, and we love feedback. We just really appreciate When y'all take the time to let us know your thoughts on what we discussed, whether you agree with them or have different thoughts or feel like we need to be called out on something or feel like we missed something. And this uh, email that we want to, to just mention
0: included all of that. So, yeah. Do you want to share kind of what it said, Jill, or you want me to summarize it? Sure. Yeah. We'll just want to thank the person who reached out to us. And uh, so what they were saying basically was that not being okay is not necessarily something that particularly here in America, the culture allows for. We know and say it's okay to not be okay, but that our jobs often will make it so that we can't take time to not be okay. That there's a a consumerism and a productionism and just talking about the workforce, then I will be completely honest and I'll speak for myself and I I, Paul let you will speak, let you speak for yourself. But I think that was such a commonplace thing that we didn't even think to mention it because it was just a given to us, which assuming never a good idea, but it is so prevalent here in America that, your calendar should be fully booked and your schedule should always be busy. And what you put out, um, is, is more important than what you take in and capitalism and consumerism and all those things. So, uh, it, it is hard to prioritize mental health and self-care. Yeah, absolutely. i
1: I really appreciate the feedback from this particular listener, because yes, I agree that what we discussed in that podcast and what we were hoping to convey was that it is okay not to be okay. And to try to decrease some of the stigma, especially coming from religious systems around that and, and from other places too. And the way we phrased the question, is it really of the type the way we phrased the title of the episode, is it really okay not to be okay? Was. Trying to address, we hear this phrase happening a lot, but is that really how it's playing out? And I feel like, yeah, we definitely could have made more clear that we think we recognize that it's okay not to be okay and to ask for help and to seek support and to try to destigmatize that. But there's so many systems that control so many parts of our lives that don't think it's okay not to be okay, that don't support you taking the time that you need for yourself. And unfortunately this listener had experienced that very, uh, in a very, um, concrete way in her life when her job did not allow her time to not be okay. So I just think we, we want to apologize to that listener and anyone else who didn't feel seen or heard in their experiences where systems have told them, No, it's not okay not to be okay and suck it up and get back to work or suck it up and do whatever you want. We want to acknowledge that that's real and that happens and that we, some of our goals is to try to destigmatize that and create systems that do make it okay not to be okay. So you can ask for help, but we, we didn't make it clear in that episode. So we just wanted to address that here.
0: It's definitely a systemic issue that can, can bring about some real injustices. So we, uh, we appreciate hearing from that particular roadie and, and welcome feedback and other ways from, from the rest of our roadies and listeners, as you all interact with not just this season's episodes, but if you're listening at a later point in time, let us know, reach out to us and you know, that there's lots of ways you can do. So pivoting to today's topic, in case you somehow missed the title
1: of what we're talking about today, as you started listening, we are talking about suicide. And obviously, this is a really complex topic. And we want to honor all the complexities around it. We want to be sure that we're not contributing to further stigma around the topic of suicide. And we also want to be sure we're not normalizing or glorifying suicide. And so we're going to try to handle all those complexities with care. And we also know we may not get it exactly right. So As we get started, I did want to offer some resources in case you or someone you know might be struggling with suicidal ideation or thoughts of suicide, and we will also put these in the show notes, but I wanted to name them here in the episode that there are several suicide hotline numbers. One that I recently tested out to make sure it was active and working is the suicide hotline number you can call 24 hours a day, every day. That's one 800 273 8255, which another way to remember that is 800-273-CHAT. I did call it right before we started recording because I like to make sure that numbers are still operational before I share them. And this sounds a little bit like a comedy routine, but I was on hold for a little while on the suicide hotline number Hmm. and um, thought that was interesting. There was a phone tree option of different choices you could make to talk to someone. It was not a long hold, um, but someone did answer and had a lovely conversation with the person who answered. And one of the things that the person really wanted me to say when I told her why I was calling and testing out the number was one of the things that she finds prevents people from calling and reaching help is the fear that they're automatically going to send the police to their home if they do that. And she wanted to be clear that that is not what they typically do, that they want to be a resource and that they want to help people and talk to them. And the only time they would ever, sometimes they do have to send EMS um, if someone calls and tells them they have taken an overdose or things like that. But they, she wanted to really try to decrease the fear that that automatically happens. So that does not automatically happen. I did also want to offer, because I know the youth of today hate the thought of talking to someone on the phone. (laughs) So um, if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, please know that that phone call is an option and it's a safe place to call, but there also is a texting option. And so one of the texting options I found was to text the word home, H-O-M-E, to 741741. So that's texting the word home, h o m e to 741741 and you get an automated automated response right after you text that that gives you some resources you can go to while they're connecting you to someone and it it was a little unclear whether I ever actually got connected to an actual person before I stopped to start our recording but it did seem like they were in the process of getting an actual person on the other end to text with me. So so wanted to give you those resources. And again, we'll put those in the show notes just in case someone needs them. But as we start to address this
0: topic, Jill, do you have any just overview of thoughts that you want to share? We played around with the phrase destigmatize, not normalize at the beginning of this season when we were planning out our episodes. And when I think about the topic of suicide. I think our desire is to destigmatize talking about suicide. That people are hesitant to talk about it, to 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 explore it, whether it's whether they are someone who has experienced suicide in um, suicidal thoughts themselves, or in suicidal acts of people that they care about or people that they love. And so, what we want to destigmatize is the ability to talk about it. I think is important to me that people feel like there's safe places and spaces where they can have conversations about difficult things like suicide.
1: Piggybacking onto that, I just wanted to also clarify that in that destigmatizing piece, that uh, what was really important to us as well was taking away some of the shame around the actual act of suicide, mm-hmm. um, and that's hard to do while not saying it's okay that this happened. Yes. Um, but, but cause so we don't want the family to experience shame. We don't want the person's memory to be drenched in shame mm-hmm. around that. And we also want to prevent suicide from yeah. happening. So that's something that is a really complex message that can feel like a mixed message, but that was important to us. And
0: you maybe have been about to say that, but go ahead. No. Well, I think the thing that has made it timely for us. So We planned out these episodes and had planned on talking about suicide over the summer. And in the month of October, in the um, middle of October, some news articles came out. There was a piece on the CBS Evening News one Thursday night in the middle of October about the mental health crisis and the suicide issues on the campus of UNC Chapel Hill so much so that UNC Chapel Hill canceled classes for two days in a row in order to prioritize mental health care and seeking mental health care. The chancellor stepped out. We'll put a link in the show notes for the articles that reference this, but this all came about because there were multiple student suicides in the first two months of the fall semester at UNC Chapel Hill. So it's a it's a national issue. UNC Chapel Hill is a big enough school. We've talked about being here in North Carolina uh, and having that uh, that culture around us. And also, one of the most fascinating things that I came across in one of these articles was reading just about the prevalence of it. So, the National mm-hmm. Institute of Me- Mental Health says suicide is is the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 34 suicide attempts among teen girls increased significant significantly as pandemic lockdowns were put into place. Yeah. That's hard to
1: hear and read. That's a horrifying statistic and especially around something that seems like it should be so preventable. So I think that is definitely one of our hopes in this discussion is to prevent further suicides and also to recognize that people who've had loved ones who have um, died by suicide have a lot of complex emotions and experiences often connected to religion around those. And we wanted to address that too. Definitely.
0: Definitely. So let's take this metaphor. So we're getting ready to get on the road. So we're packing our car and it would be helpful to define some terms and some language as we're getting ready for this particular road trip, talking, talking about these things. So, um, one of the questions I have for you, Paula, as a mental health care practitioner, help me understand, help us understand what are the best ways to talk about, suicide. Are there, um, we've heard, we've heard the phrase commit suicide. We've heard death by suicide. We've heard suicide described as a selfish act. Talk a little bit about those terms and what's more, I don't want to say PC, but what is a more acceptable way of talking about suicide in the mental health care field?
1: Yeah, we're seeing a, a real kind of shift in vocabulary around this, and that I'm thankful for. And you know, it, traditionally you've heard the term "committed suicide." So and so wants to commit suicide, or so and so committed suicide. And when you talk about someone who maybe died by suicide, and we're seeing a transition to the phrase death by suicide, or they died by, they died by suicide or of suicide or things like that. And some of the thoughts around that is the destigmatization piece where the term committed is often connected to a crime. And it actually goes back to the days when suicide was on the books as a crime, which I imagine with the way our laws are it's still probably on the books in many places Mm. as an actual crime, but, you know, so-and-so committed murder or so-and-so committed robbery and, and it's connected to criminal activity. And so shifting that to died by suicide, died of suicide is a way of recognizing it as, um, as a death and not a crime Mm -hmm. and to kind of take away that piece of stigma that comes to it. And I think it also, helps to acknowledge that most of the time when people die by suicide, it's connected to a mental illness. You know, it's connected to a health issue. Mental illness is a health issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just recognizing, we might say someone died of cancer or someone died of heart disease. So this is saying someone died by suicide in a similar Mm -hmm. way of recognizing this is the way they died, but not connecting it to criminal activity or to the stigma that can come from just that term commit. And it's been a shift for me. I've, you know, I've been in mental health for 22 years now. And a lot of that was inpatient psychiatry and did a lot of suicide assessments in my time and and the terminology that was used was committed. And I just didn't think about it a lot. So, so it's been a shift for me, but I think it's an important shift to to change the way we think about it.
0: It it has me thinking we'll, we'll get deep into this later on, on the religion road, but it has me think about the ways that we use the word commit when we're talking about sin. Mm, That is interesting. There are, there are certain creeds and things like that, that talk about committing acts of sin, and that's can be problematic and can contribute to some of the harm that's being done about suicide. As a as a choice. So you know, c- committing gives this idea that it's this conscious choice that someone is making, which also plays into this idea about the selfishness of suicide and the ways in which it's a attention-seeking behavior or or that someone doesn't actually want to die, they just want the attention around that that may come from expressing a desire to to. to die by suicide. Yeah,
1: that's another one of the complexities here. And I think often one of the myths around people who die by suicide is that they were selfish. And I I hear that a lot from family members. And I understand that mentality. I understand that that part of the grieving process is they're trying to sort through and figure out how could they be so selfish to do this and to leave us here to pick up the pieces. And so I don't want to minimize that emotional experience of people who have lost loved ones to suicide and that it feels like they were being selfish. And I also, as someone who did probably thousands of suicides assessments over the course of my career, I can say the vast majority of the time when someone is to the point where they are actively thinking of dying by suicide, it is usually the opposite of selfish that someone has gotten to the point where they feel like a burden. They genuinely feel like the world and their loved ones would be better off without them. I want to stop and speak to our roadies in case you were in that place. And you were thinking that, that that is a lie and that it is not the case that the world and your loved ones would be better off without you. I want to be super clear on that. Mm -hmm. um, That that is, that is the illness lying to you. So please, if that is in your thoughts, reject that thought but i also want to just help loved ones understand that often that is where the person has gotten to and that is their illness twisting their own perception of themselves so it is often they really don't think about the aftermath the horror of the aftermath they often they just think about that they're making things easier for people around them now sure sometimes people ha- take action for attention that is not what I think the vast majority of suicide um, attempts are, but does that happen? Sure. Can people be impulsive and not really think it through and do harm to themselves? Of course that happens, but the vast majority of the time, it's not driven by selfish. I'll get you, I'll show you, I'll leave it all to you kind of thing. It, usually, it is a place of such darkness that they really think this is the only way out and that this sounds better than living in whatever they're living in. And I also want to say again to any roadies who may be having these thoughts that, that that is also a lie that I don't want to be Pollyanna, but that whatever you're experiencing in life is temporary. And that there is always hope and the feeling of hopelessness is real, but the actuality of hopelessness, the idea that things can never change and get better, um, is not real. And so to give yourself time to step out of it, to give yourself time to work through it, to give yourself, and that may take months or years, but but it's worth it to get through this really dark time. I see you nodding Jill. So I want to just give you a chance to jump in here if you'd like to.
0: I appreciate so much the care and tenderness that you're offering. Your reality is your reality. Like the, the reality of your circumstances, you feeling hopeless, you feeling like there's no way out. You feeling like a burden. Those are your feelings and they're yours and they're your mental illness that's lying to you. We want you to not believe the lies and know that you are valued and that the world is a better place with you in it and that we don't want you to feel alone. So just, I'm just echoing yeah, nodding in agreement and appreciation. Yeah. And that's part of the complexity of this conversation
1: is we really have two different audiences in mind that we are speaking to those who've been impacted by losing loved ones to suicide. And we also want to be sure that people who are contemplating this, that we're speaking to you and letting you and begging you not to do that, begging you to seek other alternatives. So, you know, so I just I wanted to some of that destigmatization is when we we don't take threats of suicide seriously because we think someone is attention seeking. And as a mental health professional, and to any other counselors or counseling students that are listening to this, always take it seriously. Always take it seriously and always. Create a safety plan, a contract for safety, because, you know, sometimes people don't intend to die by suicide. It is more of a cry for help. That's not what I usually experience, but, but that still doesn't mean that people don't die by this. So we want to always take it seriously and always create, you know, a safety contract often can be things like just agree that you will not do take any action to attempt suicide until you have called that hotline number and talked to someone. And sometimes that can be the the barrier that stops the impulse and is able to, someone's able to honor that commitment rather than um, going forward with, with the act of dying by suicide. So those are some of the terms and just myths that I think we wanted to address too. I think we're already on the, the mental health road for sure. So since I'm already speaking to counselors, I do want to go ahead and say that this as a counselor I believe, and as someone who worked in the emergency department for many years and um, assisted in the involuntary commitment process many times, that this is the one time as a counselor where I feel like it is my role and it is my duty and my responsibility to override a client's autonomy, to override a client's wishes and what they say they want to do with their life. And there's some larger ethical discussions we could have, we're not going to have today around... People's right to die and people's right to make those decisions for themselves. But I believe my responsibility as a counselor is to help keep people alive, whatever that means, um, until they're able to to maybe think in a different way or had a chance to really work through this. So so that I would say this is what I tell my counseling students too, that this is the one time where you make decisions for your clients rather than letting your clients make those decisions. So there's some other things on the mental health road, but do we want to spend some time on the religion road before we go too far down the mental health road, Jill?
0: Sure. So Part of the reason we're talking about this particular topic is because there is so much baggage around the theology that deals with suicide. There's a cultural, a religiously cultural idea that suicide is the one unpardonable sin. There's pieces of classical literature where you know, one of the layers, one of the rings of, of hell in Dante's Inferno is people who have killed themselves, people who've died by suicide. There's characters in the Bible, Judas Iscariot, Jesus's disciple who betrayed him being the most famous. I will say not all scholars agree that Judas died by suicide. There's, (laughs) there's just a lot about suicide in religious culture, when there's very little expressly said in scripture about suicide, there That's is so not. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Can I jump in for a minute? Because Please. I just, in all, because so much of my work, especially earlier on in my career was around suicide assessment. I can't tell you the number of times, the ways that people contracted for safety or assured me that they would not commit they would not attempt suicide. Look, I, I'm still so used to that terminology. I almost used mm-hmm. it again. Um, but the people would not take action on suicide was they would say, I would never do that. I don't want to go to hell. Because that was their belief. And as a counselor who was trying to keep them safe, that was great. Honestly, I mean, just to be really transparent here, I thought, because this, that's a strong belief system. Mm-hmm. And if that's what keeps them alive, I'll take that. So a little part of me is kind of like, oh, I don't know if we want to get into this theology, that theology doesn't actually say that, because that can be such a powerful tool in keeping people alive. And I do think talking about the theology is important as well. Yeah.
0: So scripture does not, the word suicide is, is not in scripture at all. It's interesting. It is, it is not in the Bible and there is not an express commandment about dying by suicide. Okay. You hear me pausing too, because I have written in my show notes, like committing suicide. So I'm the, the, we're all transitioning. The language struggle is real, but I think where people go most often, the most logical is that suicide is a form of murder, and the Bible says, "Do not murder." So mm. that's one way of I think how people proof text and put together. If you're playing the, I'm not, if you're playing the proof texting drinking game, go ahead and take <laughs> a sip. We'll take that out.
1: <laughs> no, I so hope that our roadies are playing the proof deck. We, we need to come up with a full on drinking game. I love that. Um, but back to a more serious <laughs> part of this conversation you know, I mean, it is taking a life. I don't think there's any way around that. That, yeah, that I understand why it gets lumped in with murder because it is the willful taking of a
0: life. Right. So, and so there are characters in scripture that all have circumstances that are connected to suicide. So Judas is someone who is connected to suicide. There are discrepancies around Judas's death. So some uh, places in scripture in the book of acts talks about Judas's death Uh, and the circumstances are slightly different than the way the gospel of Matthew talks about Judas's death. So there's an instance where he hangs, there's an instance where he falls headlong. So there's this discrepancy around it. And it's, I find it interesting that so many people have built their theology around suicide as there's no worse person in the world than Judas who betrayed Jesus. And I'm not going to do the thing that Judas did. And We're not altogether sure that that's exactly what happened. Is there something that Judas
1: was punished that Judas was punished in the afterlife, either because he died by suicide or because of that betrayal?
0: So I'm pretty sure that that's all connected to Dante's Inferno. Oh, interesting. That's not really scriptural. Mm hmm huh? Okay. So much of, and perhaps this is another podcast episode for us at some point in time, but so much of the cultural understanding about the afterlife comes from extra biblical sources and people's concepts of hell there. There's a Pew research study that says that people's concepts of hell are heavily, heavily tied to Dante's Inferno and Dante's Inferno kind of inspires a lot of devil horns, hell. It's called inferno no, flames, imagery. things like that. So a lot of the imagery and understanding and concepts of, of hell are, are tied to things that aren't described. That's so, interesting. In scripture. so Judas is always the way the place people go, but in the Hebrew Bible or what Christians call the old Testament, there are a number of instances uh, are, that are uh, of deaths that are connected to suicide or death by suicide. So King Saul, uh, King Saul's armor bearer, there's uh, Samson, of uh, Samson and Delilah. Uh, there's uh, other m- more minor prophets and tangential characters like Abimelech and Athipiol and Zimri who all have these instances of, um, some of them are warriors who regret their, their acts on the battlefield. Some of them feel as the, the, the way scripture paints them as someone living with great remorse. And it's interesting when you go outside the Bible to some of the timeframes of the Hebrew Bible, like Greek mythology, suicide was an honorable way to die. Uh, So it's a very new Testament Christian thing that suicide is a, this, this massive, unpardonable, unforgivable sin. Hmm. So just even thinking about when you said Samson,
1: I had to, I have to pause and think for a minute, like, really? Because that's very much a glorified death. You know, that that was the way that he brought the pillars down and, but you're right. He took himself out with that. So so that's certainly not when, when I thought about suicide in the Bible, that would not have been one that came to mind, but that's really interesting.
0: So in the hopes of not getting too, too deep into the rabbit hole of, of how we define sin and how we understand sin, this idea that there is an unpardonable sin, that there is something that God will not forgive you for, I think is a bunch of hogwash. And it is an entirely human creation that attempts to put God into a box and put limits on God. And if we're going to confess that God does not have limits the way many people of faith, Christians in particular, Jesus followers in particular, will say that God does not have limits to attempt to say that there is a limit is contradicting some of what we know and confess about, about who God is. So this idea that Jesus died for these people to, to reconcile these people to God, but not for these people, Jesus did this is, it's just not true. I I think we're kind of, this is already naming a roadblock, but
1: where we see this being used in a harmful way is when it is for, for grieving loved ones where maybe their pastor is, telling them that their loved one is in hell because of the way they died and that that is the way that this is used in a harmful that this theology is used in a harmful way that I'm hearing you say is not even scriptural is not even accurate
0: yeah let me just say soapbox megaphone please anytime the concept of hell is being used in a coercive manner is wrong I get angry, angry, angry about hell being used as a motivator for anything. If you are you know, praying the salvation prayer because you don't want to go to hell when you die someday, that's a manipulation. When you said the phrase, maybe your pastor is telling you that your loved one is in hell. The thought that crossed my mind is like, why on earth would you do that to people who are grieving? Why would you ever talk about stupid
1: things people say? I love to hear your horrified reaction. And the reason that we're doing this podcast is because it happens. Right. You know, of course to, it does. We, it does. I've heard it from people. I've heard it from clients who lost a loved one this way. And this is part of their trauma. You know, it's a very getting back on the mental health road, grieving the loss of someone who died by suicide is a very, very complicated grief. And in so many ways, and there's often this blaming themselves already. And what did I miss and what did I do wrong? And what did I do to make this happen and the guilt? And then they've had a pastor imply to them that their loved one, you know, is, is suffering eternally because of this. And that's a grief you can never get over. That's a grief. You know, if you believe that is the most horrifying thing, truly the most horrifying grief I can imagine. And so that's part of our passion around doing this podcast is to try to add a different narrative to this idea. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you as a pastor horrified at that idea. And if that has happened to you, I'm so, I'm so sad that that's happened.
0: Yeah. I'm at a loss for words because if there are religious leaders that happen to be listening to us and you feel like there's a place where hell should be brought into the conversation? I really would like to talk to you about it because I will say in my role as a religious leader, we almost, I I almost never talk about hell. It doesn't, it doesn't come up because it doesn't seem like it's going to help anything. If my interpretation of, of God and scripture is a concept of abundant love and radical hospitality, hell is at such odds with that, that I I don't talk about it. And I don't, I, maybe that's my own personal preferences coming in. Maybe that's my own interpretation of things, but I think that religious harm occurs when we place this judgment or this shame around the idea that suicidal thoughts or death by suicide is somehow separating you from God or from God's love, that, that unpardonable sin concept. And yeah. that just, for me personally isn't part of the god that i worship. So there's
1: two major kind of theological points that i hear in that. And one is the theology of this even if you believe in hell, and even if you believe that there that is a part of the afterlife for some people, the idea that suicide is the one thing that's going to get you there is not biblically accurate. <laughs> that's not I'm hearing you say that 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 is not scriptural. Correct. And but there's this other Idea of just the theology of hell being used in a coercive way, in a manipulative way. Thinking to our who's driving category, where are where's theology and some religious concepts being used to control you? And so that's what I would encourage our roadies to consider from their religious leaders. You know the messages they're getting. You know what is driving that those messages? Is it the need to control you to be right to? Whatever, but just to consider what is the purpose behind this conversation. And it's not that you have to think exactly like me or like Jill around this theology, but really just be willing to question why is my pastor talking about this in this manner? And mm-hmm. um, why is it coming up here?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say one more issue I do want to raise before we take a turn off of the religion road is what I hope is a helpful reframing in that what scripture does put forth is the concept of self-care. And one of the ways that manifests itself for me is in first Corinthians six, talking about your body as a temple and your body in the concept of the Greek phrase that's coming forth is, is your personhood. So your body, your brain, your body, your, your spirit, your soul, your, your personhood. So taking care of that and treating it with respect. And so, as you mentioned earlier, suicide is murder. It is taking a life. And so the idea of treating your body and your personhood as a temple, as a holy and sacred place is hopefully an encouragement towards Treating it as something that matters, treating yourself as something that matters. Because as we talked about in the It's Okay to Not Be Okay episode, self care is not often prioritized. We do often, many of us, put ourselves last and work really, really hard and neglect the care for ourselves. And I think the culture of the world does not prioritize mental health care. It is insanely hard to get accessible and affordable. mental health care, which is wrong. It's stupid and wrong. And mental health care should be more affordable and accessible. And I'm on, it's my life's quest to make it more (laughs) affordable and accessible because it just makes me so angry that it's not because here are people who want to be able to take care of themselves and they don't have access to it. And here in this you know, world's leading country, you can find a doctor, and not having access to doctors is like, oh no, that only happens in third world countries. Well, you should have access to counseling and therapy and mental health care. Okay, I'm stepping down off my soapbox.
1: Still's already done some road raging, and I think we're gonna have some more episodes about that as well. So we'll spend a little bit more time talking about access to health care. But absolutely. And you know, when you talk about self-care, I think about how we've mentioned on the podcast before this idea of love your neighbor as you love yourself and how. People really miss the, as you love yourself part. And so, you know, if we would just never, if we would never murder someone else, which I hope all of us listening would never do just value yourself as much, love yourself as much as you would your neighbor and someone else. Um, So I think those are some really important theological concepts that can be used in the prevention of suicide that can be used in that self-care. And I think another thing on the religion road for me as far as suicide prevention is this idea of renewal, you know, that that is, that is a theme throughout scripture, this idea of renewal and that Jesus makes all things new and that, that your life today is not what your life has to look like the rest of your life. And that, that spirituality can be a part of that. And there's lots of other very concrete things that can be a part of that, but, but just truly embracing this idea of renewal can be I think a hope to recognize that you, you may be thinking I would rather die than live the way my life is today. And I just want you to hear another option to, to death for your life, not being the way it is today. Your life does not have to be the way it is today. And you can still be alive.
0: You heard some passionate thoughts from me that we might call road rage. Paula does, are there, do you feel like that you have road rage around this or are there instances of things you wish were completely different? You know, when I thought about this category, I really couldn't
1: come up with a lot because a lot of the topics that we have elicit anger in me. And this one, just more illicit sadness, just creates a lot of sadness around people who are contemplating suicide, people who have lost a loved one to suicide. And, you know, I do get kind of ragey, uh, the things that we've talked about, the way pastors have pr- sometimes manipulated this and done harm to people who are grieving in that way. But I really don't have a lot of ra- rages to add to this one.
0: So one of the things we felt inspired to do after our last episode on spiritual bypass is to actually have that as a segment in each of our uh, episodes. So Paula, do you see spiritual bypass around the topic of suicide? And if so, where? You
1: know, it's that's interesting. Spiritual bypass, for those of you who maybe didn't listen to that episode, is where is where you we are operating only at the spiritual level and not really thinking about things from a cognitive place or a psychological place, um, or even a physical place. It's it's bypassing some of the work in healing and often comes in the form of trite sayings like, don't grieve, they're in heaven, or you know, it's God, God will use it as a blessing, whatever difficulty you're going through. Like that was God's will and God will use it for good. And it's just a way of squashing a lot of the emotion and trauma and other things that people experience. And one of the things I really appreciated Craig said in that segment was how that can sometimes be a really important coping mechanism. And Mm -hmm. until we're able to, to do some of the work, it can be a way to help us survive and to do some of the work. So Mm -hmm. I don't see an obvious place around this. I'm sure there are. Is there anything coming up for
0: you? Well, the thing that occurs to me is that perhaps there's spiritual bypass around the survivors and loved ones of someone who's died by suicide in not dealing with their grief. So someone who has a loved one die by suicide and rather than grieving, they sort of say they've, they've committed suicide. They're in hell. They're dead to me. They're dead to the world. Done. Moving on and that there's a lack of, of grief and that they did the thing that can't be forgiven by God. And that because it stems from their theology, I guess I would put that in the spiritual bypass box. Doesn't seem like a healthy form of, of spiritual bypass because it's not being dealt with and it's villainizing the person who died by suicide. But I, I have seen that happen where someone has lost a loved one. To suicide and and has just not dealt with it and not talked about it and the the loved ones death is they they never state the cause of death they they never deal with it and that's and and their reasons for not dealing with it are they did something that's unforgivable it's unforgivable by God and so if God can't forgive it then I don't have to forgive it either
1: oh interesting
0: which again I want to say if you're listening to this in sound bites having that belief that God can't forgive something. I think is problematic. Yeah. And that just,
1: it may be the terminology doesn't matter as much. I think when I hear that, I don't necessarily think of that as spiritual bypass as much as avoidance, which spiritual bypass can certainly be a form of avoidance or, you know, the shame, I think what you're referring to is often the shame that's attached to a loved one who died by suicide is often hard when someone Dies, especially if it's someone who's young, there's often this great curiosity about what happened. And mm-hmm. loved ones are having to tell the story or decide not to tell the story over and over and over again. And I think part of what we would hope to do in the destigmatizing of it is to take away the shame around this that this is not something loved ones need to carry as shameful. This is not something you failed at. If you've lost someone you love to suicide, that is not. And and again, I'm struggling with how to do this without saying it's okay that someone died by suicide. So, it's complicated. It's complicated. It's very complicated.
0: Now, I appreciate that clarification. And like the, can we dig into that a little bit more? Let's talk about shame. Yeah.
1: yeah. What's what's coming up for you?
0: So, for for me I think about as a religious leader, when someone dies, we often will try and help families find the language to tell stories. So the act of having a memorial service or a ritual of grieving or a funeral or something like that, and often obituaries are connected to that. And I, you know, cycled through and looked to see how rare it is see the word suicide in obituaries, that it's that, that shame piece of not wanting to share that. And I think that stems from this cultural religious belief that it's a crime or that it's a sin or that it's something over which people have control, which is not always the case I am even struggling with the concept of it's, it's something that people have a choice to do willingly taking a life. Yeah. I think we can recognize that there, there is a
1: willful aspect in it and that that is connected to an illness Mm -hmm. and that those can live in the same space, you know, that, and it, it makes me think of a similar shame that is often attached to a drug overdose, um, mm-hmm. Someone who's died by that, and families often have similar struggles of how to talk about that and what to share about that. And I've seen obituaries where that was named. And in the obituary, the family specifically says, We are naming this in order to destigmatize this idea, but to also not let this overshadow the rest of this person's life. No one should be completely identified by one part of their life. You know, we're all. One of my core beliefs and philosophies about humanity is that we're all greater than the worst thing that we've ever done. You know, we're we're all greater than, than one piece of the puzzle that makes up our life. And Mm -hmm. so being able to, to celebrate a life and to recognize the, the whole, the whole person and not just this one aspect of how we lost this person, I think can be helpful in the grieving process and to help with the destigmatization of it as well.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like we may have touched on this already a little bit, but if there were to be U-turns that people could make, what are some of your hopes for that?
1: You know, I hope that again, our two audiences that we feel like we're talking to, that people who might be contemplating suicide and people who may be having lost a loved one to suicide. That I just really hope with the U-turn that that us talking about it, that more churches would be active in suicide prevention. That religious leaders would be willing to open up conversations and, you know, as, as most problems or mental illness, when it's in the dark, it seems bigger and gets bigger. And when we bring it out to the light, it is often not quite as scary. So I would love to see this just being something that people are willing to talk about and that, Mm if you see a friend or a family member or someone who is struggling, that you just make the effort that we all just make the effort to be really clear that you can talk to me anytime you need to talk to me, you can talk to me, you can, um, I'm here for you or the world's a better place with you in it. And we really hope you stick around. So that's yeah. one U-turn that, yeah. that I
0: think I would like to see. How about for you? So much of my U-turn is tied up in what I would label harmful theology and that, in in the hopes of people letting go of some of that harmful theology, the, the God I follow, the God that I worship as a follower of Jesus is a God that's about abundant love and that, is a God who died for all of our sins once and for all. So the idea that your loved one, for those who have lost someone to suicide, God does not love that person any less. And that there isn't this concept that God's love is limited because we can't limit God's love. That's an important u turn for me. And to echo just what you said. Regardless of how you may see the world, the world is better because you're in it. That's beautiful, Jill. And
1: I just, yes, I agree. And I, as I think of U-turns, I would also just add to anyone who might be listening, who has lost a loved one to suicide, that I would hope that you are taking care of yourself and seeking support in whatever form that means for you, whether that's counseling or friends or family and that it's normal to experience guilt around that. And I would just like to say to you that you did not cause this and Mm. that finding a way of releasing that. And that's a long process. That's not going to be an event. That's a process, but I just also felt the need to name that for anyone experiencing that.
0: I'm so glad Uh, you did.
1: Yeah. So we named some billboards of, of what's happening this semester on the campus of Chapel Hill. I think there's lots of movies and celebrities who have died by suicide. And and I think that when that happens, one of two things can happen. It can be a destigmatizing moment and it can also contribute to stigma. Like it, the way it's talked about can contribute to stigma. Yeah. So I would just say, you know, rather than naming the celebrities that we've lost to suicide to recognize that to be careful about the language we use when those things happen in pop culture and when we see them in the public eye.
0: Yeah. Now I think on the topic of billboards what I would say too is particularly around movies and culture that in the same way that I encourage people to ask questions and wrestle with scripture that I would want to encourage folks to wrestle with what they're consuming in terms of pop culture. So If you see something problematic or something that gives you pause culturally, there's lots of television shows and movies and things like that, that pick apart some of these concepts. And some of them have no biblical base. Some of them have no base in reality or things like that. But just the ways in which suicide is a topic in pop culture, like just feel welcome to question that not even feel welcome, be encouraged to question what you're consuming and, yes. and see what it's, what, what is this telling me about suicide? What is this telling me about grief? What is this telling me about God? Always, always very
1: rarely are things one-dimensional in
0: life. Reach it. Um,
1: I think there's always a lot more we could say about this. And I also feel like this is a good place to maybe put it in park
0: and share some of our final thoughts. Do you want to start with your putting it in park? Sure. I think my park is very similar to my U-turns. Suicide is something culturally now that's not talked about. There's a lot of stigma around it. There's a lot of shame about it for people who are experiencing suicidal ideation or thoughts about suicide. Please hear. I hope you've heard it said multiple times throughout this episode. The world is a better place with you in it, that you are not a burden. If you're a person of faith, know that you're not alone. Even if you're not a person of faith. I believe that you are not alone and it's my prayer that you will find the help that you need uh, and the community that you need with resources from all different places and areas of life. Um, If you are someone whose life has been impacted by suicide in another way, I hope that you can be gracious to yourself. I hope that you can find spaces to grieve and safe places to talk. If if hell has ever been used as a weapon against you, I'm sorry and hope that you know that that's not the right way that it should be used. So to just put it in park what I'll say what I said again. I don't think we can measure God's love. I think it is more immeasurably abundant than we could ever imagine and that there's nothing even suicide That can never separate us from that.
1: Amen. Amen to that. So, for my putting in park, I think I would just again reiterate a lot of things we've already said, but that suicide is complicated. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we've said all the right things here or covered it completely. But my hope is that we didn't harm anyone um, around this topic. And I don't want to normalize it and I don't want to glorify it. And I also don't want to further stigmatize it or add to any shame around it, but what I do want is to be able to talk about it. Like I hope we've done, and I want to be able to show compassion for all those who've been impacted, whether that's because you are having suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, or that you've lost a loved one or a family member or someone. I don't want it to be weaponized. I don't want it to be used as a scare tactic for people. And I just would again reiterate if you are having any of these thoughts um even though it may feel true to you the truth is no one is ever glad that you are gone and it may not feel like the world is a better place with you in it but it truly is and that my faith believes in renewal and if you share that faith or if you don't share that faith I believe that your life is not always going to be like it is today and that there is, there are many other options out there. So please, please, please consider those, um, other options and seek help for whatever illness is driving this. And I know that can be frustrating in our healthcare system and to not let those barriers, be the take, get the final word to keep pushing through those barriers. And so I also want to kind of wrap up our stuff by going back over the suicide hotline information. So the talk number for those of you who aren't scared of talking on the phone, you millennials and the other ones younger than your millennials, I know you don't <laughs> love it, but um, to actually talk to someone is 800-273-8255 or 800-273-CHAT. And the text line, you can text home H O M E to seven four one seven four one, and we will have that in our show notes as well. And um, thank you, roadies, for being on this journey with us today. It was a tough journey today. Um, didn't have great scenery today, but I think there's a lot of beauty in um, celebrating the lives of people and, and helping people stay alive as well. So, so you can if you. Would love to support us. We would love it if you subscribe to our podcast, if you left a review, wherever you're listening to this, if
0: you shared our social media posts and you can find us on social media, lots of places. We're on Facebook and Instagram at sacred intersections podcast. We're on Twitter at sacred pod. You can email us sacred intersections podcast at gmail.com or find our website, sacred intersections podcast.com. And as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we really do appreciate hearing from you and value your input. So thanks for joining us and safe travels through all your sacred
1: intersections throughout the week.